Welcome to the Conlangry Podcast, podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them, the community around them. I'm George Corley, and here is my lovely co-host, Bianca Mangum. Hello. Whose name I have said wrong a couple times now. And we got it right this time. Yes. And also with us is William Annis. Hello. And he gets my name right, which I'm thankful for. Can I yes. call you Anise? If you want. <laughs> you know, I think everybody has prob- has heard somebody screw up with their name. I've had people call me Curly before, or Carly. Because well, like, your name's not like Smith. If your name was Smith, it would be fine. Well, but it- <laughs> my middle name throws people for a loop. My name is George Alston Corley. A-L-S-T-O-N. Everybody wants to say Alston, but in my family they call me, they, they say Alston, so I say Alston. Is that Ash? Yes. Should get rid of it. Nah, <laughs> I like my Ash. Anyway, let's just plow right into this. Our topic for today is what makes a con line good, good or bad? Alright? What, what criteria are you, would you use to, to judge a language? And, you know, what's important? Is it complexity? Is it big lexicons? Is it something, something exotic to, to see? Or, you know, and how does the, the type of conlang and the purpose of the conlang affect your judgment about whether it's good or bad? Or how should we, should we, uh, judge conlangs differently based on where, what they come from, what philosophy they come from, what purpose they're for. Well, obviously the goal matters. I mean, you know, you're not going to judge everything by the same criteria. I'm not going to judge a plane by the same criteria. I judge a boat. It would just be stupid. You know, if you're looking for an aug slang, you do want it to be something that is generally easy to learn, or at least quick Maybe not easy to master, but quick to get the basics. And something that, you know, is not biased, I believe, is one of the common goals. Yes, although... That's impossible, so... As, as <laughs> anyone with basic linguistics knows, everything in language is arbitrary. Therefore, there's really no way for you to get rid of those biases. You just have to deal with them. Well, there's always going to be some bias, but you can minimize it. I mean, but I think I think there is a way, possibly, to make a language that is very easy to learn. I don't think really the problem with Oxlangs is in the fact that you can't make a universal language. It's the fact that you cannot make a universal, neutral language that will be accepted because it has to have. Because there's socioeconomic reasons for people choosing to learn nine languages. I mean, I think the reason why I don't like them and why they fail is just because they tend to be so flavorless. I'm sorry, I know Will is going to be like, oh, but I love them, so whatever. (laughs) (laughs) They do tend to, like, because they want to be neutral, they tend to take a lot of the more interesting bits, at least bits that are interesting to me. Because that's why I like languages, because you'll notice 
different things that people see, which you may not see in your own language. Like, you know, English doesn't have gender, other languages have gender, etc., etc. So is that something important to you? Spiraling back into the, the topic. Oh, Would back to the topic, to- what I think is good. I think it's good for language to have a unique view on the world. If it just copies the way it expresses what it sees in the world, then it's a failure. William, what do you think? What what do you look for in a conlang? I know that you read a lot of them. You you have seen a lot of them. What makes a conlang good? What makes it bad? Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to go Aristotelian for a few seconds here, and the question is good or bad for in, in what sense? Good for purpose? Good of its kind? Good what are we for going you. on? Good for you. Good for, good for me. Honestly, a, a combination of there's an aesthetic sense there that has to appeal to me. I really hate the grag bag phenology with, oh. you know, huge constant inventories that are perfectly symmetrical and these things don't interest me. And I, I like, non-Indo-European grammars. I'm with you on those two. I mean, I do like some Indo-European things, but I don't want it to just be some mix-up of, like, romance languages with some Germanic stuff thrown in. Well, well, I will disagree a little bit, because I don't like that... I I think I want to bring in a little bit of what about the purpose of it? Because sure. if your purpose is to create a an alternate history romance language, oh, per not se, another one. <laughs> of course, of course, that's going to be the feel of it. And whether you're successful or not at getting a unique language out of that, you can debate. I generally, mainly when I'm looking at you know people's sketches on the forums and stuff. What I'm looking for is knowledge and some understanding of what they're dealing with. And obviously, the things that get at me that stick out as bad are the obvious things that every points out to uh, useless apostrophes and and no understanding of what phonology of phonology or or how grammatical structures work, those sorts of things. Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to put together a 45-minute to an hour talk that I could just go around to cons, sci-fi cons all over the planet, and talk and explain to writers of games, of novels, and movies of how not to make linguists cry or their eyes bleed. Oh, I can do that in five minutes. Well, well, you want to give them some advice on how to correctly approach things. So, uh, you know, a crash course in phonology would be included here rather than just, you know, useless apostrophes make you look like a moron. Don't do it or I'll kill you. Yes, don't do it. Or, or <laughs> there's a cadre of us who will hunt you down. It'll be just me. I don't really care. They won't see me coming. <laughs> For me personally, I mean, the, the things that interest me in an invented language I recognize as being personal to me. I, I think there's an interesting fads that go across at least the English-speaking conlang community, which present themselves in funky ways. Right, right now, highly naturalistic 
languages are held in high esteem or mind-bogglingly bizarre. <laughs> Those also also get a good mention just because you know they blow people's brains out. But it always has to go back to the person's purpose. I do not. I'm with Bianca. I'm not interested in the Bogo Langs. Let's run vulgar Latin through I don't know a Hopi sound system. I just, <laughs> I just don't care about that. Um, but obviously, you could take a look at that and say, did that work or not? Actually, now that I've mentioned that, that might be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I can like take this from a different perspective, I think. I mentioned, and I believe in the first one now, that judging conlangs is kind of like judging art. And if I can be a little bit philosophical about it, you know, I kind of said it before, but I like seeing how a language sees the world, because we all get the same input from the world. And it's just interesting to me how different languages divide the key information. So kind of like art, I mean, you have the different styles, you can have the same model posing, and they'll all do something different. The same thing with languages. Same input, a thousand different outputs. That's what I like to see. And that's why I don't like the thousand different romance languages, or, you know, relax or whatever, because they're all bad to me for the same reason. They take the same input, and they don't produce a unique output. What do you say about someone who's developed very a very good history of their romance language and has reflected that history in it say they actually have an alternate history of discovering the americas earlier or something or let's say somebody creates an alternate history of the chinese discovering the americas first and building an empire there and construct a Chinese that is influenced by Native American languages, would that interest you? If it's you know, If well it is something out? original and well done not to the point where it's just smashing two things together but they combine in a reasonable way that produces something that is different from the two parts that are joined, then yes. But have I seen this? No. William? If that makes any sense. Yeah. you have any thoughts on that? I'm going to go with Bianca on this. It is such <laughs> a, a subjective thing. Uh, honestly, I don't mind seeing a language that does no more than present a single individual's view of the world rather than the whole backstory of a constructed culture and all of that. I think you can see some cute little languages that, that have, you know, one or two things that, you know, really stick out. For me, I want the language to look harmonious. And that, of course, is meaningless, right? What does this word mean <laughs> to most people? But to me, some languages look like they, they hold together and some don't. There's just something there that, that doesn't look completely baked. I mean, it's easier to see, I think, in invented writing systems. When you look oh. at a page of this thing and you're just like, that that just does not... There's, that doesn't look like anyone ever wrote that. I need to send you the link to, like, the page for my pet peeves with, you know, invented scripts. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and, and a few get it right, and it's, it's, you know, it works together, it looks convincing... The shapes make sense; they harmonize, but it's 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 very subjective. Thing. I find yeah, it's I, like 
what happens with a lot of beginners, I find, is that they make words that sound nice to them, but then when they combine to make a sentence or with the affixes or whatever, together they don't mesh. It's like you can tell they tried to fit the Lego blocks and they didn't work right. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of planning out to create a good language, and it takes a lot of figuring out what sounds right and also what goes together right. Yeah, that's the usual death of a sketch for me. If I, you know, I might work on something for a few weeks or a month or so, and then I'll realize when I finally get, I don't know, to relative clauses that every decision I made to that point makes them impossible. It doesn't make them impossible, but it just doesn't work anymore. It just doesn't cohere. It doesn't hold together anymore. Yeah, because I find that's what happens when a lot of people quit. Because they'll do like the phonology, they'll do the nouns, they'll do the verbs, and then when they go to do the sentences, they're like, it doesn't work right together, and quit. I'm like, don't quit now, it was just starting to get interesting. But I guess it's just my perspective. Some people like just seeing the phonology, some people like seeing other things. I like seeing the whole system, which is more difficult. That is. Some languages harder than others. These yeah. days I'm hopeful for the a newfound respect for working with smaller sound inventories. I quite like using smaller ones. Well, to an extent, I kind of just like the medium size because they work well. Yeah. I like smaller vowel systems, personally. I don't know why I'm learning Swedish. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have no problem with small or large phoneme inventories, if they make sense. The languages I have created, I believe I have mostly stuck to smaller phonolo- uh, phoneme inventories and such because it's easier for me to work with and also it can make a language easier to pronounce. A la- languages like Klingon have their place, but they're, but they're not for everybody and depending on what you're looking at, my very first language was you know, you could say it's very much like Klingon. It's a, an alien language that is very difficult to pronounce. In fact, based on the biology of the aliens, there is one specific sound that humans cannot produce. Not a sound, but a, a tone that humans cannot produce. And it was interesting for me, but ultimately I have, I have lost interest in that whole world temporarily. I may use it later. And when I go back to that language, I find I try to record an instance of it, and I find, you know what? I can't pronounce these words I created. <laughs> I think Tomas, uh, in the first episode, was saying that he s- experimented with large and crazy phonologies early, and he said, you know, I just went with very boring phonologies because I want something I can pronounce. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky having studied all sorts of fun things that 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 opens up the possibilities for pronounceability for me. Um there was a point I was going to make but about that. No, um it would be interesting to know how many conlangs ever make it to the public and how many 
are written on the back of a napkin and fall apart before they ever get beyond that stage. It'd be really interesting to me to know how many people produce lots of little sketches and just chuck them when they realized the two ideas that sounded great do not, in fact, produce a delicious treat. <laughs> well, that that's true of any artistic endeavor, I believe. It how is, many artists I was doing something have... awesome at work, and then my boss came along and threw it away. <laughs> so, I, so I'm still mad about it. So do we think that, that lots of people have to produce lots of terrible languages before they get they get good? Uh, yeah. Um, that's, or that's constantly keep revising idea. the same language over and over? Uh, yes and no. Um, well, Bianca is a proof what your first language is. Actually, I haven't looked at your first language. But <laughs> your first language well, is you should look at it. Yeah, you should look at it. It's cool. I, uh, if only my first language, my first probably 300 languages were that good. Yeah. I think there was, there's a saying that among uh, visual artists that you have 10,000 bad drawings in you and you have to get them out before you can draw good drawings or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. I, I mean, I had this conversation too, like deja vu. I think there's a difference with art. And I guess I kind of consider Conlingan an art. Is that an artist, I don't think, focuses on the outcome of having a complete language. Sometimes it's just about the practice and what you learn from it. I mean, I may have a thousand bad drawings, but I don't care if they're bad because I drew a thousand drawings and I learned something from every single one. Sure. I, I think that that's definitely true. I don't learn a thou- I don't draw a thousand just to get to the good one. I draw a thousand because I enjoy it. That's the true. same with conlinging. I don't necessarily do it to have a finished product. I do it because I enjoy it. And another thing, conlinging is probably more analogous to writing. And in writing, you write something, you revise it forever and ever and ever. And I think that's a common misconception. What um, with art? People don't just draw it and it's done. There is generally a good amount of revising in the process. I think oh, one yeah. of my favorite things my teacher used to say is that like an eraser isn't a mistake corrector. It's a tool that you use to fix, not to fix things, but to make it better, to continue. And I think that's kind of the thing. Sometimes you have to stop, say, this isn't working. Erase it, fill it in with something better. I know that sounded really cheesy, but whatever. Cheesiness is okay. From what our, we've said so far, I don't think we're going to really get to any kind of answer. And to be honest, there is no answer. To yeah, there, there's no point to an answer to this. It's interesting to think about the ways you might judge them in a bigger question rather than just what's sort of popular and faddish now. But everyone's coming to this for their, for their own purposes. It's a hobby, right? You know, it doesn't yeah. matter how we decide. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely say things that are bad. But it's a lot harder to specify something that you're going to like that's going to be good. I mean, clearly the bad things are you relax it. You have, like, English vowels for your phonology, blah, 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 blah. I mean, even if it was just the English vowels, but they were somehow used differently, I probably wouldn't mind it. But if you're going to have, like, the exact same English phonology and then, you know, strict word order and then... The negatives were going to require some ridiculous auxiliary verb. But then I would probably say your language sucks. <laughs> I think we can all probably agree 
that we know when we see what they call in the forums, quote-unquote, a new blank. Oh, yes. And that's not yes. really what I want to talk about in this discussion, well, of necessarily. Course, I can say it's a bad language to me. I don't like the engineered languages, the philosophical languages. It, all languages are going to be philosophical to me for the whole input-output thing I was talking about earlier. It's how you see the world. You don't need to go through some extensive thing of trying to, you know, make it unambiguous or whatever crazy goal they have. Um, it's when people go to the extremes is when I start finding real issues. See, I differ from you a little bit on that because I find the thought experiments and the, the extremes kind of interesting, actually. And in <laughs> fact, that will lead us into our featured conlang of the week, if everybody, if everybody's willing to move into that. Um... Which? I need to head off right now, so you guys can happily talk about that. So, you know, my impression was I didn't like it. The script, I hate it. And that's about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me say one last thing. I do understand why people like to go and, like, explore the extremes. I can understand, like, you know, the desire to push it all the way to the extreme, like I said. And, you know, find out how well it can be done, but for me, that's just not interesting. So it is a viable goal, just not one that I care about. Yeah. So you're saying it's it's not it's not bad or wrong. It's just not your taste. Yes. That's right. Yeah. All, All right. right. So see we'll ya. See you. Goodbye. I was hoping she could talk longer about this because I wanted to get that that uh, vehement argument going. That's so <laughs> it's it's good for our uh, listening numbers. But anyway, <laughs> the the featured language we were talking about, I was I was referencing earlier. We're talking today about Ethquil. I believe that's the correct pronunciation. If the vowels are switched. Isquil. Isquil. I can't start with a stupid lax if. Isquil. The U is lax too, I think. There are many vowels in this language. Anyway. <laughs> language what I can't pronounce. <laughs> Is a philosophical language created by is this John Quijada? I, I don't do know I have if it has right? the Portuguese pronunciation. Okay, huh? uh, John Quijada. It's known for its extreme information density and "quote unquote" fuzzy logic, and it is a philosophical language. In other words, for people unfamiliar with the term, a philosophical language essentially tries to break down the world into something very dense in information. Some of these will do this by coming up with huge categorization schemes, and often the the morphemes are very small, even as just a single phoneme. They're usually impossible for a human to learn, or at least they, they seem like they would be impossible. And 
in the case of Ethquil, that it has most of those showings. In fact, I'd like to just play one of the his examples from the site, just so, so how how dense this is here. Okay, so that was what seven nine syllables maybe. That says that translated roughly literally. Hey, something belonging to you and your hodgepodge of parts is crawling on me. It certainly presents a vivid mental image. <laughs> so, I'm not exactly sure how that really breaks down, but I it feels like it's sort of uh there's there's some sort of possession that involves a collection of beings involved or something. But the point is it's very very dense and that's very that seems to be the characteristic of sort of philosophical languages. And if you look a little bit through his grammar, there are, oh, something like a dozen different ways of levels of intensity and in things that are fairly specific levels of intensity, not, not so much amorphous things like we have in normal language. And it's just very... The phonology, as we were talking about a little bit earlier when I failed to pronounce it properly, is just ridiculous. Um, you, what? I'm looking at the constant inventory <laughs> The philosophical here. language has rendered you speechless. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking um, at this language. How many? One, two, three... It has more uh, fricatives here than I really care to deal with, and also more vowels than I care to deal with at once. It does anyway. have a large vowel system. Uh, one thing that's interesting is when you sent me the link to this, I'm looking and I realize that he's currently in the middle of a revision of the language which addresses at least one of these questions, which is the difficulty to pronounce it. Yes, uh, I don't know how he's going to pull that off because when he produced the first sort of simplification, he did this by by reducing the sound inventory, but upping the number of tones to seven, which is well, getting into the difficult for most people to learn range. So I don't know if he's going to stick with adding these super segmentals or, or what he's doing because he does all sorts of interesting uh, changes by altering the tones in addition to not just the, the sound inventory, but tone patterns. Really? The seven tones, honestly, it's a little big, but Cantonese has nine, I think. And well, depending on how you count, but sure. Yeah. Obviously, this is more rigid but than any natural language would be in terms of what the constant inventory has. Does he have aleph? No, no, I sure hope not. But this, it's it looks like a nightmare to me. But I don't think the point is to make it pronounceable. To be honest, I don't. I think it's a thought experiment mentally. But I'm looking at the. If I'm saying this correctly, the current redesign he's working on is called Elax, which it does have 
a much smaller uh, constant inventory anyway. Well, Elaksha is actually a previous revision. Oh, that that's the is, previous revision. Is sort of feeding into this most recent one. Okay, but Elaksha, I noticed it has a non-linear script, which is very interesting. I wonder what caused him to to go into that. But really, I just kind of want to go into sort of the philosophy behind this. Why do you think I have listened to a talk by Kihab at one of the LCCs, and I do believe that the main motivation behind this is a thought experiment. If I if I have read him and and heard him correctly. He's not serious about having people learn this, but he wants to explore this idea. Yes, but here's another instance where a thought experiment somehow tweaks some some nerves in people's brains. And there are people who are trying to learn this language, and I suspect the revision he's undertaking now is in part motivated by these people who are actually trying to use it. Yeah, so... He has people who want to learn it, even though he didn't really start out with that. Well, I do remember on the forums when I joined with the Conlang community on the Zampas forums, it was very popular talk to talk about Iskuil, however you say that. It's Iskuil. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, this is currently, I think, popular with conlingers now is either highly naturalistic or highly, highly unnaturalistic languages seem to be, uh, seem to get people's attention. For me, the most interesting thing is this thorough, systematic approach to degrees of anything, any concept, any grammatical thing you might decide to mark has a continuum associated with it, which most of those are marked by what looks like vowel ablat systems. So things like degree of development, degree one is reversal, so matches sort of un-prefixes, and then around the middle is something is well-maintained, well-kept, or healthy, and then at the other opposite end is complete achievement, now irreversible, set in stone. And this is done for everything, including demonstrative, you know, dexis. It's an interesting approach to generating vocabulary. I find it useful, well, not useful, interesting to think about how you might break down some other concepts this way, find out what the cutoff point is, and use that to generate vocabulary that doesn't just relax English. Yeah. But in terms of actually using it, I, I don't, I don't think I'm smart enough to produce a correct sentence in this language. This is the problem I see with uh, philosophical languages. If you want to actually use it, which I don't know if he ever fully intends for people to use it. If you want to make a usable philosophical language, the problem is that philosophical languages, by the nature, try to classify things so minutely that there's no ambiguity. And not Kiha necessarily, but many people who create philosophical languages or create any language at all have this 
uh, sort of skewed view of ambiguity that it's bad, it's wrong, it needs to be eliminated. And the truth is, at least in what I've seen, we need ambiguity to really fully to to use a language in the first place because if you have no ambiguity you have to know everything to talk about anything being humans we don't know everything we can't sit here and classify everything so we need some ambiguity to talk about just uh that one thing i'm going to disagree with you a little bit on this uh, the ambiguity inherent in words works and is useful because so much of human conversation is never spoken. Context is so important to everything we say so that a word like table is ambiguous and vague because it covers a whole slew of different things and because in any context, hopefully, the other people listening to me know what I mean when I talk about the table in any given instance. And it works. So you've got this sort of blob that you can attach to table or this concept that you can attach to the thing. And it works because of the slop. It, it works. It's necessary. Whereas the over-specification, well, not over-specification, this extreme specification that comes in designing vocabulary this way is probably too constraining unless you are trying to communicate to people who are completely removed from your context. For me, honestly, looking at this language, my thought was that it would be a great uh, intermediate step in machine translation, right? You get a bunch of people together and say, this is how English works. And here's where the cutoff is for, I don't know, the future. And then you put it into this philosophical language. And then hopefully somebody else has I don't know, worked it out for some Australian language. Let's pick gerbil. There are still people who speak that. I think a few. And they break things down differently, but because you've covered every single thing across the spectrum, you can find out where this different language makes those breaks, and then you can pull it out of the philosophical language more neatly. Remind me, honestly, a little of um, Rick Morneau's um, lexical semantic stuff. So I could see a value in the language for that, but ooh, for humans to speak it, I think would be very tough. That is an interesting point, but I would take issue with the idea that we could really find a cutoff, cutoff point in a continuum. Because, to be honest, is a continuum by nature, isn't it? You know, infinite series of points. It, it will be better than human languages at this, but it will still not be perfect. Well, he's only got so many vowels, so the, the the continuum is already quantized for us, nine degrees for most of these things. So it, it doesn't need to be a perfect match, but it would be a better match than, than other approaches might be. Yeah. Before you mentioned machine translation, I was thinking more of a language to communicate with, you know, aliens, and you'd have some way of giving them a primer to it and then using it since they would be completely removed from our context besides maybe just simple facts of physics and, uh, you know, 
periodic table of elements, those sorts of things that they that we know absolutely that they would have on their planet that would be similar, there might not be a lot of common ground. But even then, you have to you end up with the the problem of intelligent beings will have a hard time making sense of this thing anyway. <laughs> and what meta language would you use to teach it to them? Exactly. You'd have to go with some sort of mathematical representation in the first place. In the, in which case, why don't you start just speak with mathematical representations and try to get some common ground so that you can start learning each other's languages. Even though, I mean, it's a philosophical language here, but it's still solidly human. It has all sorts of human judgments, human concerns are also built into the language in the same way that degree of distance from the speaker is encoded, the degree of someone's emotional involvement, um, someone's judgments about you know, the appropriateness, uh, all sorts of things are encoded here, which are solidly human and wouldn't translate off outside of our species necessarily. Especially considering he constructed a phonology based on human, known human languages. Because, you know, this, these are human phonology, this is human speech sounds, which is constrained by our physiology and the particular way in which language evolved in our species, probably if there are aliens, that they probably wouldn't even be able to pronounce anything on here. And uh, so that was just my thought experiment. I'm not saying that you would use this. It was just my own thought of... But otherwise, it doesn't seem practically useful to me. It just seems purely something that is interesting to think about. I've paid a little attention to the people who are learning this language, but I've never really sat down and investigated what they think is so important about the time they spend learning it. It's tough. I mean, just it doesn't even have a normal dictionary, which is a consequence of how the language is designed, but it's, it's to, to think even simple thoughts in the language takes a great deal of effort. You know, actually... I mean, if you think about it as a sort of mental discipline, which I think is what some people do, then there might be interesting value there. Yeah, it's sort of sort of like the how Lodgmanists sort of more think of their language as a way of making themselves think more clearly, uh, more about what they say and how they think. I'm, I'm sure that people learning uh, Ithquil are... Uh, very similar to that. I I have a suggestion. If if you're out there, I'm sure there's someone listening who is maybe learning Ithquil or is involved with that community somehow, or even I don't know if Kihara might watch. If you have some uh, interest in Ithquil and would like to email us about it, I would be open to uh, reading it at the end of an episode. So, if you want to, you know, correct us on some of our, if we've been, you know, saying something that is wrong about the language or our speculations don't jive with what you think the language is, email us, conlanger at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from people who 
are interested in this language, because that would certainly be enlightening for me to hear from them. Will? Yeah, I'm here. Don't know well, if I need to... <laughs> certainly, I have no idea with yeah. this one. I think we can uh, wrap this episode up. You have anything special to say at no. the end now? <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll send this one out. All right. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can listen to us on iTunes or by visiting conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at Conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, even to suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com. Our theme music was created by Xander Fideus.